Hey, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for rocking with me for the 72nd episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. I'm not sicing when I say this, but I feel like we've had a string of some really dope podcasts, some really dope episodes, and this week is no different. I'm going to be joined by Mike Sykes making his second appearance on the show. He's going to stop by to talk about Nike in the aftermath of the Colin Kaepernick situation. Plus, he's going to give his thoughts on the passing, the tragic passing of Mac Miller. You're not going to want to miss that interview. All that plus, I'm going to recap Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, plus preview Gennady Golovkin, Danny Garcia, huge boxing weekend again this weekend. All that and so much more. But of course, we're going to start with the biggest sports story this weekend. It's our first topic this week. First quarter. When I hear greatest of all time, and you know, it's a it's a phrase that people say all the time now, right? Goat. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? You know, a lot of people think Michael Jordan when they hear goat. A lot of people, when the first time they hear goat, the first name that pops into their mind could be the notorious B.I.G. Maybe it's The Wire or The Godfather, if you think greatest of all time in terms of television shows or movies but when i hear goat or for the vast majority of my 35 years on this planet when i hear goat greatest of all time the first name the first thing that pops in in my mind is muhammad ali god bless the dead right when i think of the greatest of all time muhammad ali is the first name the image that pops up in my mind is his face But here's the crazy thing about it. I don't think Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer of all time. I think that belongs to Sugar Ray Robinson. In fact, there are boxing historians who know far more than I do when it comes to the sport. People who I respect, people who I've talked to or I've read or I've listened to. One person who I know personally who have told me or who could make the argument That Muhammad Ali is not even the greatest heavyweight of all time. But when I think of greatest of all time, when I think of the GOAT, he is the person who I believe, or for the majority of my life, I feel represents, right, what it means to be called the GOAT, the greatest. That is until... About a few weeks ago, but I, I Saturday afternoon kind of cemented it. Because for the majority of my life, for the majority of my 35 years on this planet, when I think of greatest of all time, even though he wasn't the greatest fighter of all time, I thought of Muhammad Ali because he exemplified what it mean, meant to be dominant. He's not the greatest boxer of all time, but he's among the best on the short list. Make no mistake. He may not be the greatest boxer of all time. He may not even be the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he's on that list. Whatever short list you want to make, Muhammad Ali is on there. But more important, at least for me, when it comes to his dominance in his field, Muhammad Ali's impact was greater. Dominance times impact. To me, that equates, that equals greatness. 
Tupac. A lot of people feel he's the greatest rapper of all time. No one feels that Tupac is the greatest lyricist of all time, right? But he's among the best. He's among the best musicians of his time, of any time. But his impact was greater, right? He may not be the best musician. He may not be the best lyricist, but his impact combined with his dominance, his greatness in his field equals greatness. Biggie, he was a great lyricist, but he didn't have the greatest album catalog. He only had two albums. He only had two. A lot of people feel he's the greatest of all time. Even though he didn't have the largest music library, he didn't have the greatest length of songs, but his impact was felt. You feel me? He was great at what he did. He was a great musician, and his impact was huge. That's how you get to Biggie being the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan, to get out of music, onto the sport, into the sports arena. Michael Jordan has no peer, right? He didn't have a magic to his bird. He didn't have a Steph Curry or Kevin Durant to his LeBron or a Shaq to his Kobe. Michael Jordan was head and shoulders above everybody. His impact was huge. We knew how great he was. But his impact was even bigger. He brought the NBA to levels that have not been seen since. And in terms of endorsing, who's been a bigger endorse, endorse, endorser, easy for me to say, who's been a better, a bigger endorser than Michael Jordan? He's still selling shoes and shorts and shirts and socks and underwear. Everybody wants to be like Mike. <laughs> you feel me? Greatness in this field times impact equals greatness. So like I was saying, for the majority of my life, for 35 years and eight months, so maybe about seven months, I felt Muhammad Ali, God bless the dead, was the personification of greatest. He was the greatest, no doubt. But I'm off that now, man. And this weekend cemented it. Because when I hear greatest of all time, when I hear the GOAT, only one name pops up now. It's not Muhammad Ali. It's not Michael Jordan. It's not Tupac. It's not Biggie. It's not Andre 3000. It's not even the damn wire. When I think of the GOAT, I think of Serena Williams. And I'm going to break it down. What did I say? What did we say? The equation of greatness, right? It's dominance times impact. But Serena, she's bringing something to the table that no one else can. No one else. When we're talking about the greatest, that's longevity. Serena Williams won her first major as a singles competitor in 1999. The U.S. Open, oddly enough, I believe was her first major win as a singles competitor. In 1999, I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> okay, I'm a grown-ass man with an eight-year-old daughter now. 20 years, bro. 20 years. She has been dominating her field for 20 years. Who has had a 20-year run at the top? Who? 
Jordan didn't do it. Ali didn't do it. Floyd hasn't done it. Michael Phelps didn't do it. Roger Federer, arguably the greatest male tennis player ever. He hasn't been on a 20-year run. So who's the person who can meet her on that level? Dominate your field of play for 20 years. 20 years consistently through health scares, through birth and another health scare. Who's done it? So when I talk about greatness, I told you the equation, dominance and impact. But before we even get there, she's lapped the field when it comes to her dominance, not just her dominance, but her longevity, her being great for this long. It's unprecedented. Mind you, in tennis before Federer and before Serena, when you got to 27 to 28 years old, that's when we were saying, okay, it's old yellow time. It's almost over for you. Time to take you out back. Put you down. 27, 28. And Serena like 37 now. 36, about to be 37. <laughs> Talk about lapping the field, changing the game. She's done it. She's bringing things to the table that no one else can do. No one else has done. So before we get to my equation about greatness, she's bringing something else to the table. Longevity. But let's get back to my equation, right? Dominance and impact. We talked about longevity, so obviously her dominance speaks for itself. But here's the wild thing when it comes to Serena and her dominance. She was so great that so many people tried to marginalize how great she was by diminishing the people she was beating. Right? She won so much for so long and was so consistent at it, people just started like, okay, well, she's not beating anybody. Her, her era of tennis is just not great. And then we got to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, time out. That's a whole lot of revisionist history because I lived it. I remember Jennifer Capriati when she returned. When she came back, that was right when the Williams sisters were taken off. And Jennifer Capriati absolutely was a great tennis player. Serena's better. Martina Hingis, remember her? She was a huge rival to Venus in the early 2000s. And she was a great tennis player. I'm not naming these names to insult these women. Please understand I'm not. But the narrative has been out there for a while now, right? Because everybody was like, okay, well, Serena, she's so good. But it's really kind of like Roy Jones. When Roy Jones was on, there was really nobody there for him. But Roy Jones, outside of Bernard Hopkins, when he was in his prime, there wasn't great fighters. They weren't great fighters. They didn't win anything without, like, they weren't, great on their own. Lindsay Davenport, Jennifer Capriati, Martina Hingis, Maria Sharapova, all of these women have are great tennis players. Hell, think about this. And it was Bomani Jones who said this a few weeks ago on his television show. If not for Serena Williams, 
we would look at Venus Williams as the greatest or arguably the greatest woman tennis player ever. Right? That's not hyperbole. That's fact. We would. Serena has outlasted Venus. It's so funny, man. We talk, I talked about to start this. Serena, when she first came on, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in high school, right? When she first won her end of her first singles major, I'm a sophomore. I remember, I remember vividly, and it's we all hear the story now. We all know the story now. Venus was already winning. Venus was dominating. Venus was doing her thing. And their father, Rich, is like, Serena's going to be better. I remember laughing. I'm I'm born, I was born in Richmond. Y'all know this if you listen to this show for any amount of time. Okay? I don't know if it's like this now, but when you were young in Richmond, especially when I was coming up, Arthur Ashe's name is on everything for children. So even if you didn't play tennis, you knew about tennis. My grandfather, God bless the dead, will play tennis. My sister will go up to D.C. on the summer months, right? And my grandfather wake her up in the morning, and what would they do? They would play tennis. The tennis, whether you played it, whether you followed it closely or whatever, it is ingrained in people who are born in Richmond. So even when I left Richmond, I'm in high school, and I'm talking like Richard Williams, talking about Serena's going to be better than Venus. My homegirl, man, we would laugh. We would laugh. It's like, what? She not better. Come on. <laughs> right? Serena's good. She's really good. But Venus, I mean, Venus, she's going to be she's going to be the number one. She, she's already great. Teenage girls dominating their sport. And sure enough, here is Serena now. Serena's do, Serena's so dominant that great tennis players, we look at them as less than because they can't stand up to her brightness. Like she shines so bright that it overshadows everyone, even though all those women I've named, Martina Hingis, Maria Sharapova, Lindsay Davenport, Jennifer Capriati, Venus Williams, and others. Those are just the top five that I can think of off the top of my head. They all are great in their own right. They all have won majors, all of them. But they can't hold a candle to Serena. So when everybody talks about, oh, well, she was dominant in a, in a down period, there was really no contemporary. No, this isn't a Roy Jones Jr. situation. Serena just made great people look less than. That's dominant for 20 years. <laughs> Who has done that? Michael Jordan made his contemporaries look less than. Absolutely. But it won for a 20-year run. Hell no. Tiger, Tiger made his contemporaries look less than, but it wasn't for 20 years. And talking about Tiger, speaking of Tiger, let's move to impact because when it comes to impact, yes, absolutely. Tiger Woods had a huge impact on sports. The I Am Tiger Woods campaign, I mean, come on, it speaks for itself. Tiger Woods changed golf and in many ways changed sports. But here we are in 2018, and look at the PGA Tour. Tiger Woods absolutely influenced the Rory McIlroys and the Justin Thomases and the Jordan Spieths and the Ricky Fowlers, and we can keep on going on, right? 
So I don't want to shortchange that. I don't want to act minimalize that. I don't want to dismiss that because he has changed the way golf is played and the athleticism and the physical endurance and the physical fitness of the sport. He has changed the sport, absolutely. But the faces still look the same, right? The faces still look the same. The PGA Tour looks exactly the way it did before Tiger Woods came in. Look at the women's tour in tennis. Naomi Osaka beat Serena Williams on Saturday. And I'm, I'm recording this on Monday, so God knows what happens after this recording. But it's fresh in my mind, and I wanted to make sure I got this out before I lost any of it. So I'm recording this first quarter, Monday, September 10th. Two days removed from Naomi beating Serena at the U.S. Open. Another woman of color. A woman of color who has gone on record to say that her, her idol was Serena Williams. And Serena Williams is who she modeled her game after. And guess what? Last year, who won the U.S. Open? Sloane Stevens. Another woman who has said she modeled her game after Serena Williams. Someone who was a direct descendant of Serena and Venus. Who did Sloane beat in the finals of last year's U.S. Open? Madison Keys. The impact of Serena cannot be overstated. I mean, I don't have enough time in this show to talk, to talk about the impact, but I'm going to try. And again, I'm going to go a little bit long on this first quarter. Forgive me, but it's important. Serena Williams has changed tennis. Not women's tennis. You know what? Serena Williams has changed sports. You can't, we can't overlook this. And she's done it with obstacles thrown in her way time and time again. Name me another great player. All time great. Because no matter whether you think Serena Williams is the greatest of all time, and I'm trying, I am stating my case. But whether you agree with me or not, there is no doubt that Serena Williams is among the all time greats, if not the greatest tennis player ever. No doubt. Name me another all-time great who has had to fight their own sport as much as Serena has. Name me one, especially a fringe sport like tennis. Tennis ain't the NFL, all right? Tennis isn't dominating everybody's, you know, television and radios and, you know, it ain't like tennis is just printing money now, okay? American tennis at that. But at every turn, it seems like they are waging a war at Serena, raising a war with Serena, excuse me, and the Williams family as a whole. Think about it. When Serena started, her and her sister, as teenage girls, battling how they look, the beads in their hair, are they ghetto? Are they too street? Are, are they fit for tennis? This, these are things that were said about teenage girls. Then it was, okay, well, the way Tina, the way Serena looks and how she acts. Oh, it's not becoming. As a young woman growing into her independence. Then it was, okay, now it's, what is it that she wears? She can't wear this and she can't act like this. And her, her, her apparel is, is not becoming, is disrespectful. 
She's a mother. She is the, and now it's, she's not humble. She doesn't respect the game. She needs to humble herself. She's a sore, sore loser. Imagine someone telling LeBron James he needs to be humble. Imagine someone telling Michael Jordan, you need to chill. You need to respect the game. You you just dunked on Patrick Ewing and screaming on him. You need to be humble. Tom Brady will yell and curse at a ref, scream at him, will be picked up on national television, and everybody will celebrate it because of his passion and how intense Tom, a psycho T is what Skip Bayless calls it, right? Tom Brady is just so passionate, and we love it. I love it. I'm not knocking it. But imagine someone telling Tom Brady to respect the game. Tom Brady, all-time great. No one would do it. Dig this. One of the most iconic images that I have of my childhood, I'm being dead ass, is Bo Jackson breaking his bat across his knee after striking up. Breaking his equipment out of frustration, out of passion. And that is looked upon as an icon. Like, yo, look at Bo Jackson. Look how intense. And look how just he's so competitive. And it means so much to him that he'll break his, his bat across his knee. And that's like held to this day as an iconic image, an iconic moment of his intensity, his competitive drive, right? His his force and his strength and his sheer athleticism. Serena Williams breaks her racket and everybody's talking about how she's a sore loser. And we got to talk about all of this. All of this is in concert, right? Because then I'm going to talk about my privilege here. Okay. When I watch Saturday, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Saturday when she lost the point initially, and then she lost the game. And I was like, come on, Serena, tighten up. Because, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be straight up with y'all. I wanted her to win. I am happy that Naomi won. I'm happy for her. And it's an amazing moment. I want Serena to win two more majors so she can set the all-time record. Yes. And I don't care what y'all say about it. I, I root for that. You feel me? So as I'm watching the finals... And I'm thinking to myself, Serena, come on. Don't do this. Stay sharp. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. No. Don't lose. No. I realize it's easy for me to say this. I haven't had to endure the criticism. I haven't had to. I haven't had people talk about how I look and how I don't belong in my hairstyle. And what I wear. And if I'm interested. And if me and my sister are throwing games when we're competing in championships. Because our matches don't live up to the hype that you expect it to live up. Or when I'm beating everyone. Right? That it's not because I'm just so much greater. It's because my competition isn't that good. Or how about this? Maria Sharapova has been billed as Serena Williams' rival for so long it is completely disrespectful to serena to do that that is not a rivalry just because you play a bunch of times does not make you a rival the wizards play lebron james in the playoffs a bunch of times they are not rivals the indiana pacers and the toronto raptors play lebron james in the playoffs seemingly every year 
They are not rivals. The Portland Trailblazers play Golden State in their playoffs often. They are not rivals. <laughs> you know, how disrespectful is that? And then get this Maria Sharapova that's called doping and who leads every tennis player, man or woman, in drug testing in 2018? Serena. And we upset because she's frustrated? Who the hell wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be 20 years of not just dominating, but 20 years of dealing with everybody's BS? Everybody's. And let's break that down. Again, let's talk about it. I talked about Muhammad Ali, and that was the man who I thought of when it came to greatest of all time. And a lot of people think it's Tupac, and a lot of people think it's Michael Jordan, or maybe it's LeBron James, and who knows what it is. But unfortunately, when it comes to Serena, the people who throw obstacles at her, unfortunately, too much, too much of the time, they look like me. They look like LeBron. They look like Michael Jordan. They look like Tupac. Yeah. Unfortunately, brothers, we sometimes are the biggest obstacle for our sisters. Without a doubt. Let's be real. Let's keep it funky. And we talk about her frustrating frustrations. Stephen A. I just heard earlier today talked about how Serena was wrong. And again, it's easy to say that from our seats. We're comfortable when it comes to sports. We are comfortable. We talked about this a few weeks ago when it came to Skylar Diggins Smith. And everybody, myself included, and I was like, man, you know what? I was why, why did she become at Harrison Barnes? Harrison Barnes didn't do anything. But you know what? Sometimes when you're frustrated, that type of stuff happens. Who are we or anyone to say you can't show your frustrations this way? Because you know what? They wouldn't be frustrated if we were listening, if things changed. But we comfortable. We chilling. But what type, what significant change happens when you're comfortable? You want to lose weight? You want to get all buff? You ain't going to do that sitting on the couch eating chips. You got to get your ass up. You got to get running. You got to get working out. You got to eat different. It's uncomfortable, but you got to do it if you want it, if you want the change. You want a better job? You want to be respected? You want to earn more money? Sometimes you got to get your ass up. You cozy. You comfortable at your job. You got a nice little thing going. You don't want to move. You don't want to shake anything up. You don't want to make any waves. Okay, be comfortable. But how are you going to get improved? How are you going to get better? You want your relationship to be better, more dynamic? You want you want the old thing back? You want the sparks to start flying with your significant other? You can't just keep on watching Netflix every night. Nah. You got to get hungry again. You got to get uncomfortable. Try something new. Change never happens through comfort. You got to get up. And just like Skylar Diggins-Smith, we've been ignoring it too long. 20 years of seeing Serena endure this. So, yeah, she frustrated. She frustrated with it all. People wanted to make excuses with the ump. Like, oh, well, you know, that umpire, unfortunately, you know, we're looking at the ump differently because he's he usually calls the rules 
to the T. So, yeah, it's a double standard, but it's not that umpire, umpire's fault that every other ump doesn't call the rule that rules that strict. And then what? An hour later, people show Novak Djokovic cursing out and calling that umpire, that same exact umpire, every name in the book. So, no, nah, that, that excuse ain't going to work. Then, then they show that same umpire calling crazy the same crazy coaching um, penalty to Venus a few years ago. So there's history there. We can't say we can't take some of Serena and some of how we got to Serena here. We can't say, okay, well, I'm not going to count this, that, and the third. Right? She shouldn't have done this. So just forget about the cartoon that comes out on Monday. Forget about everything that happened when she was a teenager. Forget about her being drug tested more than any other tennis player this year, even though she's never failed. Forget all this other stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about this particular moment. And what I'm saying is you got to take all of it because all of it plays a part in her frustration. And, you know, and I'm talking to brothers right now, Joe. You can't, you can't talk about, oh, man, you know what? Serena was wrong. She should have handled that better. You can't say that. And then on the other hand, say, I'm with Cap. Right? Because when people talk about Serena and how she should have handled it better, you know what I hear? I hear the same thing people said two years ago when they were talking about Cap. Oh, well, I wish he didn't protest this. Or I wish he wouldn't protest now. Like, I understand where he's coming from, but he should have just found a different way to do it. That's exactly the same way, because guess what? Cap took the knee because, like most of us, I'm assuming, listening to my voice right now, he was frustrated. You feel me? No, Serena's frustration and Colin Kaepernick's frustration aren't the same thing. They're frustrated for different reasons, but it's still frustration. I can't tell you how to act when you're frustrated. You can't tell me. So if you can understand, you know what? I get Colin Kaepernick wants change. So it can't be comfortable for everyone. It's not going to be comfortable comfortable for everyone because no change can happen if you're comfortable. Colin Kaepernick is aiming to make people uncomfortable. And if you can understand that, if you cool with that, you got to be cool with what Serena's doing. She was frustrated. And we we are part of the reasons why. You feel me? But it's not just us. Because Serena's impact isn't just about her blackness. That's part of it. Even though we as black men have been an obstacle for her. Also when it comes to sexism. Right? Serena's impact isn't just race, but it's also sexism. And unfortunately, she's had to fight people on her side on that as well. Remember, we already talked about Maria Sharapova, her being billed as her rival. That's not the case. But even then, remember Ronda Rousey? Just a few years ago, Ronda Rousey was looked upon as the greatest woman athlete ever. Ronda Rousey, she's wrestling now, professionally. Hulk Hogan, and Stone Cold Wrestling. We literally live in a world where people were saying that Ronda Rousey was the greatest woman athlete ever. 
while Serena Williams is still mopping up in tennis. Think about this. And if it wasn't Ronda Rousey, it was Michelle Wee. And if it wasn't Michelle Wee, it was Danica Patrick. People didn't want to give Serena her credit, her place. Imagine as a competitor how that is, how that feels. You feel me? As a competitor, she's been doing this for 20 years. And again, this is my privilege coming out, right? Because on Saturday, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, yo, look how far women's sports has come during Serena's reign, right? That's my privilege speaking because women, right? Y'all out here actually still climbing. Y'all don't have the, the, y'all don't have the, the luxury of taking the time out. Hey, look how far we climbed up. And then look up and say, oh man, we still got a whole lot. We got a lot of ways to go. Right? That's my male privilege coming out. Right? So excuse me. But I'm looking back and thinking, man, look how far we have come as a society when it comes to women's sport. And who has led the way, blazing the trail for 20 years without making a single mistake. Without making one misstep, without making one wrong turn or dropping the torch at a single moment, Serena Williams has done it that entire time, leading the charge throughout all of this. So the Michelle Wees and the Annika Sorenstams and the Danica Patricks and the Ronda Rouseys and the Maya Moores and the Elena Deladons, everybody, she's She's blazed the trail so we can get to this moment here, which is dope. Who's had an impact like that? Name me one man, woman, any sport. I dare, I challenge anyone to do it. There is no question. There is no question, no doubt in my mind. And then Saturday happens. In defeat. This is when it was cemented for me. The moment Saturday happens and she is penalized. The number of women that I know personally, the number of women who text me, the number of women I saw on social media who were like, I know exactly what she's feeling right now. That's when I was like, yo, she got it. Because even in defeat, she is representative of something much larger. Elena Deladon, Billie Jean King, Skylar Diggins, like so many people, white, black, gay, straight, young, old, it didn't matter. So many women were like echoing, I have lived that. This is my life. The double standard is not fair. I have to control how I react in an emotional setting because of how it will be received. Perceived. All of this is happening, and I'm thinking my, to myself, my goodness. She's had to carry the weight of all of this. The weight of being the trailblazer. 
the weight of being a competitor and dominant in her sport for 20 years and the weight of all the criticisms, fair and unfair, how she's looked, how her family has handled things, how she acts since she's a teenager. Nobody, nobody outside of Jackie Robinson can understand the weight that that has to be. Nobody. And she's done it for two decades. Understand, may, let me make sure I say this loud and as clear as possible. For the majority of my life, when I heard greatest of all time, I thought Muhammad Ali. But for the rest of my life, when I hear greatest of all time, no qualifiers. No asterisks, no commas. When I hear GOAT, greatest of all time, there is only one name that can follow. There is only one image that pops into my mind, and that is Serena Williams. All right, y'all, that was an extended first quarter, man, but there was a lot there to talk about, man. We had to talk about it. It was the biggest, was the biggest topic in sports this weekend, maybe the biggest topic in just kind of pop culture and there was a lot that happened this past week this past weekend so to continue the discussion regarding serena and everything that happened this past weekend and it was a lot emotionally heavy weekend i'm going to bring in my guy michael sykes for our second quarter second quarter he is a writer and contributor at axios doing some really dope and really important work for them as well as his stuff at Bullets Forever for all you NBA fans out there. Making his second appearance on the Quarterly Report, Michael Sykes. Mike, what's going on, bro? And thanks for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Hey, thanks, for, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's always fun. It's always an honor. Nah, man, the pleasure is all mine. I'm, I'm super excited about this interview, man, because so much happened in the past week. In the past seven days, so much happened. And I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. And we're going to start where I kind of left off in the first quarter. The first quarter I was talking about when I hear greatest of all time for the vast majority of my 35 years on this planet. When I heard the GOAT, I instantly thought of Muhammad Ali, right? It wasn't LeBron or Jordan or Pac, Biggie, whatever the case may be in whatever field. I thought of the legend Muhammad Ali, God bless the dead. And, you know, the greatest of all time conversation is wild. But for me, when I think of the greatest of all time, I think. Dominance in your field, your respective field, whatever it is. I think of impact, right? And then for this person, longevity. And when you factor in all of these different factors and attributes, I have now come to the point, and I've been like this for a few months now, but this past weekend, it really cemented this. I think Serena Williams is the greatest of all time, period. Do you agree with me, or do you think I'm a little bit off? No, I, I, I think I feel you on that. I, I wouldn't say for, for me personally, like goat conversations are really weird to have because right. it's just it's so it's such an arbitrary thing, right? And it's about what one person values over what another person values, right? And I think especially when we talk about like across sports, who is the greatest athlete of all time, it's it's really hard to um to kind of pinpoint one person. But like Serena, 100% absolutely is in that conversation and I I think toward the, the the head of that conversation, 
Um, simply because, I mean, she's been dominating tennis for right. three decades. Almost, right. 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 Across three decades, she's had rivals that she – she hasn't that, – that's the thing. She hasn't really had rivals, right? She's had, like, rivals that we, we tried to, to make her have, right, like yeah. Maria Sharapova, for example. But she, she's watched all of them, and she's done it convincingly over and over and over again. So I, I think, you know, with, with her, her, her dominance over these, these last few decades – um, you know, the, like you said, the impact that she's had. I mean, I, even Naomi Osaka, who, who she just beat, or she lost to, rather, this weekend, um, you know, she idolized Serena herself. And, and that is, that's insane to me, right? Yeah. And, and that just goes to show, like, the impact that she's had across um, not only tennis culture, but sports culture in general, right? Yeah, so I, I, I think she, 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 she's there. She's there. No doubt, you know, greatest of all time conversations, you're right, they're absolutely arbitrary, right? Because something that is significant or is of great importance to me may not resonate with you that same way. But I gotta be honest, man, on Saturday, and like I said, I was rooting for Serena. I'm happy for Naomi. I think her her championship and her emergence as someone who looks to be someone who can carry the sport for years to come, I think it's dope. But I'm not going to lie. I want Serena to break the all-time Grand Slam record. I, 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 so I was rooting for her on Saturday. But it was I was floored because when I was watching Saturday, when everything started to, to happen, everything started to pop off, I was super uncomfortable. It was awkward. I was like, come on, Serena. You know, let's tighten up, man. Let's, let's, let's keep focused, right? And it's easy for me to say on the couch. But I can't lie, man. When everything started to happen, you know, with the, the deduct, like the points and the game being awarded to, to Naomi and Serena's reaction. I was uncomfortable, but then I was floored by the reaction of women from, of all walks of life being like, yes, this happens to me every, this is my reality, right? I can't act the same way. I can't act passionately about something that I care about the same way my male counterparts do. And I was, it was eye opening. I'm talking to my sister. And she's saying, yes, all of this that Serena, that we saw on full display is like a microcosm of women, their day-to-day life. It, it was amazing how many people came from, again, all walks of life to be like, yes, what you saw there is what I live every day. And that's just completely remarkable because I don't know many athletes ever to not only have to compete at the highest level, but then carry that burden everywhere and represent so much to so many different people. And that, to me, was like, yo, her greatness is something that we can't ever overstate. Yeah, yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Like, it, it was, it, because, like, on his face, right, like, the, the whole thing started because she was accused of, of being coached in the middle of the right. point, right? And, and, like, I'm not a tennis buff, so I, I couldn't tell you, like, what the impact there is. But, like, to me, it was, it, it didn't seem like, you know, that big of a deal for, right. for it to, to escalate into what it did. And like you said, it, there were so many women, um, you know, and, and it didn't, it, it wasn't like women of a specific race or, yeah. or women of a specific orientation or, or women of a specific, you know, belief system. Or, it was just generally women that were coming, coming out and saying, like, this is, this is real. Like, this yeah. is what, this is what sexism looks like. Right. And, and it's not just America. It, it's, it's global. This is this is what this is what we have to go through. 
Right. And and so we saw that on the biggest stage. And, and, and yeah, I, I, it wasn't, I guess it wasn't shocking to me, sadly, but, right. um, you know, that that is, I think like you were saying, that that is what it looks like. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Michael Sykes. He is a writer for Axios and for you basketball heads, specifically Wizards fans. Make sure you check out his stuff at Bullets Forever as well. And follow him on Twitter. Really dope, really fun follow at Mike D. Sykes on Twitter. And last topic regarding Serena, because I don't know about you. I was bothered how the reaction to Saturday, like how that played out in media and even dealing with some of my, my male friends, you know, because, you know, it's not an apples to apples comparison. So let me make sure I set the table that way. They're both frustrated for completely different things. Right. But when I hear people say, you know what? Serena, I wish she didn't handle it that way. I wish she didn't get mad that way. That was unsportsmanlike. She lost it. I wish she didn't uh, show her frustration that way. That sounds to me a lot like the people who say, you know what? I agree why. I understand why Colin Kaepernick is upset, why he's frustrated. I just wish he didn't protest during the national anthem. I wish he didn't protest during the football games, right? Again, not an apples to apples comparison. But what happens when people get frustrated, no one else can then tell someone how to handle their frustration, right? The frustration has to manifest at some way. And the people that I find, even friends of mine who always sided with Cap, coming down harshly on Serena by just showing her frustrations because, again, she's been dealing with this type of stuff Outside of just competition, she's been dealing with stuff. You look at the cartoon that came out on Monday, right? No one has had to deal with the things that she's had to deal with. And the fact that people are mad that she showed frustration makes no sense to me, does it? For 100%. You? And, and, you know, that's something that, you know, women, minorities, and, and, and just marginalized populations have to go through all the time, right? It, it's somebody telling them, you know, and, and nine times out of ten, it, it's it's a, a white man who is telling right. you this. Right. Like, they're telling you that you need to handle it in a different way, a way that makes me more comfortable with what you're doing. Right? You need to you, – you shouldn't be able – you shouldn't throw a fit like that. It's bad sportsmanship, this, this, and that. And, and it's, it's, it's the same thing over and over and over again packaged in different situations. Like I said, it, it's not apples to apples, but it is the same thing, essentially. Like, Serena has it, – it, and it also didn't just start here. Like right. it, it really, I mean, dated back years. for years. Yeah, it, it's dated back for years. But but if we want to like pinpoint a specific situation that that happened recently, when they made her take off her her bodysuit right. that was for her health, right. right? That that's something that you know men don't have to go through. That's something that white women don't have to go through. That's right. something that Serena Williams has had to go through through her entire career, and she's put up with it for decades. Right now, she's fed up, and and rightfully so. It's not right, honestly. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Sykes, making his second appearance on the Quarterly Report podcast. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Michael D. Sykes. He is a writer for Axios. And, you know, this is a perfect segue. Um, Colin Kaepernick and Nike made huge headwaves last weekend as well, kind of really took center stage in all of the sports world with their – uh, with the information that he was going to be the face of Nike's Just Do It campaign, 30th anniversary, I believe. Um, and after that news came out, everyone 
became like a stock expert. Everyone's talking about, okay, well, you know what? This is going to be a backlash for Nike. There's a boycott online, people burning shoes and whatever the case may be, cutting socks, all types of silly stuff, right? And after an initial drop um, in their stock, at the time of this recording, Tuesday morning, Nike has seemingly recovered all of it and had a huge gain. So my question to you is, how do you feel about Colin Kaepernick as the face of this campaign and Nike's role? Um, I don't know necessarily in the, the cause, but backing and using Colin Kaepernick as a huge endorser. Uh, as far as the campaign goes, I think it's, a, first of all, it's obviously a great look for Nike on, um, on many faces, right? Because, like, you, you take a look at it at first glance, like, they're obviously, they're on the quote-unquote right side of history, right? But as, right. as far as um, most people could right. be concerned, right? Um, two, like, you look at it, they, they just find one of the most polarizing athletes to what a, a lucrative contract, lucrative, lucrative long-term contract, which is huge for um, for sneaker companies, uh, right. just generally. And some people, there there are some people who don't like Kaepernick, right? There are some people right. who don't like Colin Kaepernick. But um, in this situation for Nike, uh, all press is good press, right? Generally, Nike Nike's entire existence has been rebellion. Right, yeah. they were they were an upstart sneaker company in in the um, in the eighties. They they signed Michael Jordan, who no one really knew about. Right, like pe- people knew who Michael Jordan was, but people didn't expect Michael Jordan to become Michael Jordan. And now he's the greatest sneaker selling athlete of all time. Right, right? and and that's something that Nike they had the foresight to do. And and this company has just always been they they've always been edgy and and willing to make those kind of moves. So. That 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 is what it is. I I think on its surface, a lot of people are giving Nike a little bit too much credit for yeah. um for for signing Kaepernick to to this deal because one he was already signed with the brand. They just this was an extension essentially, right. um and and so this was something that if they hadn't done it, probably would have uh there probably would have been some some bad press that that generated because of it, and also it, it's. It's also not like they're getting behind the message of yeah. police killing black people. Police killing black people is bad, right? They're not. That's not explicitly in their ad. Rather, I, I think what they're doing is saying that this, this is more of a campaign about Kaepernick rather than his cause, right? Yeah. He he took this cause, he took this need, and now he's lost everything. Be willing to lose everything like Cap did for something that you believe in. Is is what I think is is the um the root of the campaign. And I, I think a lot of people are misconstruing um, what it actually is. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that people aren't thinking that Nike is going to have like you know, some righteous campaign. You know yeah, I mean? it, it, exactly. Exactly. Like this is, this is capitalism at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's only going to go so far, but um, you know, like you said, after, after they, they had signed them um, the next day, I believe that the uh, Nike's market cap had, had dropped 2%. Um, but that that was that was expected because that same day there were uh, there was news of uh, more tariffs between the United States and China, uh, and, and President Trump had announced that they could be even more down the line. So the entire market was just dropping that day. Right. Um, that might not be necessarily the root cause of it, and I'm sure Simon Kaepernick probably had a little bit to do with it. Um, but a lot of people need to understand that the stock market is really fickle. I mean, yeah. and, and yeah. it, it, it blows like the wind. 
um, depending on what news, what information comes out from, from companies or from reports about companies. So, um, I, for example, like we, we just saw Elon Musk was smoking weed on a podcast <laughs> and Tesla stock dropped 9% from that. Right. Right. And, and so things like that can happen that, um, you know, that, that affect company stocks. But, uh, you know, like we, we talked about this before, Nike's, um, their cap is up at the highest point that it's been all year, at, I, I believe around $82 now. Um, and that might not necessarily be all because of Kaepernick, but that is the most recent move that points to the, uh, the positive gains that they've made. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Sykes. He is a writer for Axios and a contributor for Bullets Forever for you basketball fans. And, you know, Serena and Cap were the two biggest stories in sports uh, this past week. But honestly, in my opinion, the biggest story in terms of entertainment was the passing, the tragic passing of Mac Miller. And, um, you know, I talk about this all the time on the show. You know, I, I listen to, I, I love hip hop. I grew up on hip hop. It's my, it's the music of, it's the soundtrack of my life, right? I'm a hip hop head. But in my late twenties, you know, a few years after my daughter was born, I stopped following hip hop the way I once did. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't on the blogs and I wasn't listening to brand new mixtapes from new artists trying to discover the next big thing. I just kind of gradually kind of just stopped. And it wasn't something that I purposely did. It was just natural. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I I have a collection of artists, rappers that I love. And to this day, I will always listen to. But like in terms of following new artists, I just kind of stopped doing it. But one of the last group, the last generation of new artists that I was aware of, Mac Miller was absolutely a part of it. So I was aware of him as an artist, but I just didn't stay with him. I, I, you know, his earlier music was cool, but it wasn't something that I chose to continually latch on to. So while aware of his music, I was completely shocked at just how impactful and how important and popular he has become. So the Saturday when he passed, I was I was moved as someone who has watched him from afar, but not necessarily stuck with his music at how how impactful he was, not just as a, not as a celebrity, but as a musician and how much his music moved people. And it was it was moving for me to see so many people hurting for someone who they related to on that level. I I follow you on Twitter and I saw you are a fan of Mac Miller. So if you don't mind, tell me in the world, I guess, kind of what it was about Mac Miller's music that kind of resonated with you. And how are you feeling and how are you feeling about the loss of an extremely talented young man who passed away far too soon. Yeah, man, it, it was it was so sad um, just to see uh, what had happened to Mac because I, I don't know if you listened to his most recent album, but swimming, yeah, right? sw- swimming, yeah. swimming. I I think it was it, it might be my favorite album that's come out this year. It was just an incredible um, musical masterpiece about Mac and his struggles with depression and drugs and just getting out of that and becoming a, a new person. You know, I, I, a lot of people have been retweeting the um, the 2009 uh, NPR Tiny Desk concert that he right. did, or the, the song 2009 that he did. And that song really was about um, him seeing the mistakes that he had made in the past and knowing, like he says in the lyrics, you know, I know what's behind that door, right? I, I know right. what what's coming, what, what could come if um if I keep going down this path. And, and you know, at, at, at the end, it just looks like, um you know, he just couldn't come out on the other side. But 
you know, just went. But really, so so about Mac Miller and me, like I, we we are at the same age. Like we graduated high school in the same year. Um, his one of his early mixtapes, uh, Kids, based on the movie Kids. Kids, yeah. Um, it it was that was such an incredible piece of work to me at the time because I'm a freshman in college. Like it's it's right. party time. I'm ready to have fun. Like Mac is making this really fun, awesome music. That um that I can just play in my crib every day. Like I can just feel my friends play this, put this on, and, and we can just have a good time, right? And and so like it it was that was the starting point for me. And it it just seemed like every single year as I grew, as I as I matured, as I became a man, Mac was doing the same thing, right? right. And and though his sound switched, like he remained so authentic and so so his message was always so powerful that right. like. You know, you know how like people when when their when their favorite rappers kind of start to switch up on them and yeah. say, "Oh, I want the old so and so back." Right, right, right. Like that was never the case with Mac because he was so so authentic. Unlike so many people in his class, and, and like think about the people that he came out with, like the the Meek Mills, the Wale's, the Chip the Rippers, right. Big Crit. Yeah. You know, like those are people like they're still in the game, yeah. But like Mac is is uh, he has the number one album on iTunes right now. Yeah. Right. And and part of that is because he, he passed, but also another part of that is because his music is so good. Um and because it's so it's so authentic, right? And and, and like his staying power just from, from an early point was so so strong. One of the things like that you'll that you'll see about Mac is you just look at the reaction. Like you were saying, like there were so many people who um who loved him and, and loved his music, but like a lot of those people were his peers. Yeah, right? which was, yeah. which is really incredible. Like you don't often see that, especially not for like for a white rapper, right? Right, who who started his career independently on on Rostam Records. Like you don't normally see that rapper at that with no cosign. You know? Right, no like, no cosign. Yeah, it, it was it was it was honestly incredible. But like the the thing was like he had such a big following from the beginning that he was yeah. able to to kind of move out to L.A., do his own thing. But he also, one of the things that, like, if you listen to rappers who would talk about him or interviews of rappers who talk about him, right, like, he has this open-door policy that, that people famously talk about where, like, he has a studio in his crib, right, with, like, state-of-the-art, like, recording technology, right? And mm-hmm. And his thing was, like, I will let anyone use this studio at any time if, if we're cool, like, not, and not even like, I don't have to know you and like, you have to be making great music, but like, if you want to use it, like, just ask and you can use the studio. Wow. Right. And, and that, he, he did that with so many of his peers and took so many of them on tour, like, Chance the Rapper, um, ASAP Ferg, so many guys that we know now, like, yeah. Mac has touched, you know, at, at just 26 years old. Right. And, and, and like, you would think that I'm talking about somebody who, you know, was, no, forty, but, right? Yeah, pushing forty, and and like this dude is twenty six with the foresight of of a rap game vet. And like, keep in mind, like he's been in the game for eight years, or he was in the game for eight years. Like, yeah. he was doing this, man, and and it, it was just so so tragic to um to see, man. It, it, especially like if if you listen to swimming now, it's so so sad. Yeah. Um, because a lot of that was about him making these breakthroughs and and becoming a better man, and just to see. His his final setback, you know, is it, it's it's just tragic. You know, I, I hear you you tell the story about how you know you gravitated toward Mac Miller because he's so relatable, and it's it's Shakespearean in a way, right? The tragic nature of this, because unfortunately, 
even in his passing, right, there's such a relatability there because so many people, so many young people are dealing with depression and the opioid crisis and drugs uh, that even in his passing, he's still relatable, unfortunately, and, and to so many people. It's it's actually kind of chilling. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's the, the, the beautiful thing about Mac Miller, right, is that, like, he always had a story that somebody could feel. Like, right. one way or another, whether it was that you were having a great time at a party and you met some chick and y'all hit it off, or, right. or like, or you were just depressed and you were on drugs or, or, or whatever, like, whatever you were, you were going through. Like, he made a whole album about being in love, which is like, yeah. as right. a rapper, it and, it, and it sold, and it did well, you know, and the music was beautiful, and like, he, he was just, he was just a musician. And like he was just a uh, a fine musician who like taught himself how to play piano, how to play the guitar, how to how to do so many things to make his music better. And and like he he really touched the game in a way that I don't think a lot of rappers, um, you know, with with fifteen year careers ever could. There's nothing more to be said. That's Michael Sykes, ladies and gentlemen. Hell of an interview. Want to thank him for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter. He's at Michael D Sykes. That's S Y K E S. Writer for Axios, contributor for Bullets Forever. Thanks so much, Mike, man. It was, uh, like I said, a great interview, and I uh, hope to have you on the show soon. No problem, man. Thanks so much for having me again. It's always on. That, my friends, is an hour plus half. Goodness gracious. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we usually don't go this this long in just one half. Usually the show is about an hour. So because we've gone a little bit longer than expected, we're not going to have halftime this week. I'm sorry, you know, I usually look forward. Halftime is usually like my favorite part of the show to add some levity. And this show, Lord knows we need it. We've talked about some serious topics, but we're going to keep the show moving. I promise you next week, halftime will return. Also, stoppage time, so make sure you guys send your emails and tweets. Email me your questions or your comments or the topics that you want to hear me discuss or give my takes on. Email the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com and tweet us your thoughts on anything that you hear, anything that you want to hear me talk about at quarterly show. Again, it's Q U A R T E R L E E show. Tweet us on Twitter, your thoughts, your comments, or any topics that you want to hear me talk about. All right, guys, no halftime this week. So we're going to keep the show moving. We're going to finish up strong with our third topic this week. Modesty usually defeats me. But uh, we're going to put modesty to the side real quick. And I'm going to get my praise. Because last week, I told you guys, when Sean Porter and Danny Garcia squared off for the WBC Welterweight Championship, I told you he was going to win. And I told you how he was going to win. I told you it was going to be a competitive fight. And that Sean would come away with the championship after a decision going the distance. And sure enough, your man came through if you did Listen to yours truly and put some money on that fight. I want my cut. You feel me? I'll give you the address later on, but just make sure I'm not greedy. Just give me something. You know what I'm saying? Because I held you down, hold me down. You know? But I want to talk more about the fight because like we thought, it was a competitive fight. And like I told you, Sean was going to make it a rough and tough and a dog fight and that's absolutely what it was but i was impressed by sean because not only did he do what he usually does right fight inside do a lot of clinching there was some butts head butts you know what i mean he 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 made it ugly a little bit but to start the fight he threw a wrinkle 
that Danny, I don't think Swift was ready for it. Sean was boxing. Sean was on his toes. Sean was moving. And I think that one small wrinkle, that little bit of a curveball that Sean threw Danny was enough to win because those, that it took Danny a while. It took all of us a while. We were like, what? What is Sean doing? And it caught Danny off guard and that little bit of apprehension, that little bit of caution was just enough to give the edge to Sean in a close fight and an amazing fight. And I'm happy that the fight was good. Don't get me wrong. But damn, that joint blows me, young. Because every time the top fighters at 147 or even when they're at 140, you know, before they move up, whenever the top guys fight, those fights are always amazing. Think about it. Danny and Sean this past Saturday, amazing fight. Danny and Keith, two what two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, whatever, amazing fight. Keith and Sean, amazing fight. Errol and Kell Brook, amazing fight. Hell, Lamont Peterson, when they were at 140 and he fought Danny, that was an amazing fight. When Kell fought Sean, amazing fight. Anytime you put any of the top guys at 147 or when they're at 140, they always perform. They give you a great fight. So the natural question is, why the hell aren't they doing this more often? You know, every time they do it, they satisfy everyone. And that fight Saturday was amazing. That 10th round, come on, Slim. Come on, it doesn't get better than that. That was an amazing fight without a knockdown, without a knockout. Boxing at its finest. And yeah, I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled. But you know what? It's okay. Cuz they have they have satisfied. They they they've they scratched the itch. And now I want more Slim. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I told y'all last week the sport needs to finish strong. And they got off to a hell of a start last weekend. And now, man, we want more. 2018 has been a bust for boxing, but it can close out strong. And damn it, I am so... Yo! Bro, you can Since when did you start popping up in the middle of quarter? Man, no one is trying to hear about this shit. Get to this weekend's fight, Armand. Wait, Devil, you're a boxing fan? Home, yes. Me and my family have a lot riding on Saturday's match between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. My youngest cousin is even trying to put his prized possession up. I told cousin Jerry the Cowboys are too much to risk, but he didn't want to listen. Wait, what? Never mind. This week, Play devil's advocate on Canelo Alvarez pulling the upset and beating Gennady Golovkin. Devil's advocate on Canelo beating Golovkin. You know what the, all right, that's not even that hard, man. You you getting soft in your old age, Joe. You used to give me some difficult questions or some difficult topics, but this is light. Okay, bet. Gennady Golovkin, he's getting old. And we have seen it. We've seen it with him. Gennady Golovkin was the Terminator. Remember Terminator 2? And the Batman who was liquid and he just kept on coming. And no matter what you did, he was ripping your head off. He was stabbing. His, there's nothing that you could do to stop him. 
That was Gennady Golovkin for the majority of the past decade. No matter what you did, no matter how hard you hit him, no matter how you moved and boxed, it did not matter. He was coming for you, and he was coming to knock your head off. And that's exactly what he did. What was the knockout streak? It was like 21, 22 consecutive knockouts. Like the dude just ran through everybody. But as he aged, and maybe more importantly, as his competition got tougher, those knockouts stopped. Kell Brook was a welterweight, moved up two weight classes, and yes, Kell Brook was stopped, but he didn't get stopped because he got put down. I know he, he broke his, he dislocated his eye socket. I get it. But during that fight, Kell was giving Golovkin work. He was giving Golovkin work after moving up two weight classes. And you know what that's like? That's like, you know, you watch a horror movie and the guy has a mask on his face and it has this added level of intimidation, right? It's like, oh my gosh, it's kind of scary, right? You don't see his face. He doesn't look human. But then you knock the mask off and you're like, oh, he's just a regular guy. Oh, you punch him in the face and his nose bleeds. Oh, you bleed too. You're just a human like me. And then the myth goes away. And then the fear goes away. And then... Gennady Golovkin, who was once the villain in Terminator 2, and then he's just like, okay, well, get him in the ring versus Danny Jacobs. And quiet is kept. A lot of people think Danny Jacobs beat Gennady Golovkin. That's after the Kell fight. Right? Golovkin literally fought one of the best middleweights. And, oh, the boogeyman's not really that scary with the lights are on. The boogeyman's not really that scary when his mask is off. He bleeds just like you do. And then last year, Gennady Golovkin got in the ring with Canelo Alvarez. And yes, there was one judge who scored it awful. But everybody wants to talk about that was a rob and that Golovkin was robbed. Nah, that was, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. If you wanted to say that that was a draw, forget the one judge, the way she scored it. Right, but if the outcome is a draw, there's nothing wrong with that. Go watch that fight again. That first, I think Golov, I think Canelo won the first two rounds, and I, actually, I think most people would say that Canelo won the first two rounds. In fact, I think Canelo won the last three rounds as well, and I think most people would agree. So you mean to tell me in that hotly contested fight? The seven rounds in between the first two and the last three. You mean to tell me that Canelo couldn't have won one? I don't know. Maybe he won two. Right? And here's the thing. Golovkin's not getting any younger. The old cliche is Father Time is undefeated. Well, Father Time is ticking. And he's coming down the neighborhood and he's on Gennady Golovkin's ass. So, yeah, Gennady Golovkin, he was once the monster, the big bad boogeyman in the sport. But so, too, was Sergey Kovalev. So, too, was Manny Pacquiao. So, too, was Vladimir Klitschko. And guess what happened to each and every one of them? They got old, they got less intimidating, and then they started to lose. Golovkin hasn't lost. But before last year, he wasn't drawing either. And before Danny Jacobs, he wasn't going 12 rounds. This is the natural progression. And Canelo, he's got everything to prove because of what 
this because of what happened earlier in this year and how his name has been dragged in the mud partly by Abel Sanchez and Gennady Golovkin. So not only does Canelo have something to prove, but Canelo's pissed off. And Canelo's pissed off even though he he finished stronger than Golovkin. And that was a year ago. And now Triple G, he's AARP. He's getting older. The punches aren't as strong. The stamina's not as, as, as great as it once was. He's not walking down his opponents anymore. Look at the shots. Look at the highlights. Golovkin hit Canelo flush several times. Punches that five years ago but make any fighter go to sleep. Not only did Canelo eat him, Canelo threw back and Canelo finished the fight stronger. So yeah, you damn right. Saul Canelo Alvarez is coming. He's got everything to prove. He's the hungrier fighter. He's the angrier fighter and he's the younger fighter. Look at the trajectory. One fighter is coming up. The other fighter is going down, and he probably goes down Saturday night. Good argument, Armand. But who are we kidding? Golovkin is going to destroy him. <laughs> you think the NFL is bad now? Wait until I win the Cowboys for my cousin, Gerald. <laughs> yeah, man, what the hell am I talking about? Look. Listen to me and listen to me well. I don't like Abel Sanchez. I like Anadi Golovkin. I really do. But I can't stand his trainer. And there are a lot of things about him and K2 production that just rub me the wrong way. But don't get it twisted. I hope Triple G busts Canelo's ass. Joe, I can't stand Canelo anymore. And I used to love Canelo. Last year, September 2017, I wanted Canelo to win. I wanted him to win, and I thought it was going to be an amazing fight and fireworks and the whole nine. Hell, I talked about it. Y'all can listen to the past episodes and hear how excited I was for that fight. And I may even got a prediction, but come on, bro. Tainted chicken. Tainted chicken, Canelo. I'm going to ask you all this one question, and I want you to answer at home. If you're listening in the car, if you're at the gym or you're on the track, answer the question. What elite athlete has done more harm to their own brand in 2018 than Canelo? Canelo was the cash cow of the sport. Canelo wants to have an $80 pay-per-view. Guess what? People are going to buy it. I don't know how this fight's going to sell this weekend. $80 for a cheat? There are a lot of people who want Canelo to go to sleep. And guess what? I am one of them. So, yeah, I don't like Abel Sanchez. Yeah, I wish Golovkin would have fought Andre Ward years ago. And, yes, I wanted Canelo to beat Golovkin last year. But guess what? I've changed my mind. Yeah, Keisha Cole, y'all know about that. I'm done with that. Golovkin. I hope he punishes Canelo. I hope he busts his ass. But guess what? Even if he doesn't. It doesn't matter because that boy Charlo is coming and I think he runs through either one of them. <sighs> Bro, y'all don't understand how excited I get on fight weekends, man. And we got another one back-to-back -back weekends. I love it. I love it. I also love you all. I love each and every one of you all for listening to Rocket With Me on the Quarterly Report Podcast. Make sure you tweet at me on the show, right? 
Quarterly Show on Twitter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Also, email me questions, comments, concerns. If you want to hear me talk about a specific topic, if you disagree with me, if you think Canelo is absolutely going to beat Gennady Golovkin this Saturday, A, you're wrong. But B, I want to hear it. Let me know. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. And if you all would be so kind, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a five-star review. Rate the show and let me, let your friends, and let the world know why you love the Quarterly Report Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you all, man. I'm having fun with the podcast, and it seems like you guys are having fun rocking with me. So let the world know why they, too, should join in on the fun with the Quarterly Report Podcast. All right, man. So we got the devil out of here, man. I got some, I got my holy water. You know, hopefully we, we keep him away for the past, you know, the next few weeks or whatever. But you never know with that guy. But that's three quarters down. We're going to finish the show up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. As a child, let me tell y'all, man. I was all about Bobby Brown, Joe. I'm serious. I was the biggest Bobby Brown fan as a little kid. You know, and the funny thing is, as I got older, I wasn't like, I was probably my late teens, I want to say. For some strange reason, I doubled back. And started listening to Bobby Brown when I was like 19 or maybe 20 or so. I just had to re-listen to it because, you know, he had he wasn't doing anything for a large chunk of the time between like my, like being six and seven and 19 and 20. But when I tell you it was Bobby Brown all the time, I don't, like, I'm dating myself, man. Put the tape in the Teddy Ruxpin, you feel me? Every little step. My prerogative on our own, the Ghostbusters joint, man, it didn't stop. Bobby Brown was Armand Lee's eight-year-old Armand's guy, you feel me? And, yeah, I just referred to myself in the third person, but it's past tense. Deal with it. But, yo, y'all don't understand how geeked I was when I found out that after the success of the new edition story on BET, they were running it back, and they were going to do the Bobby Brown story slim. Eight-year-old me was dancing, doing the every little step dance. You know what I'm talking about? I was excited. And, you know, we could talk about the actual show. I felt that they rushed through it. It was only two episodes or two days. So it was like a four-hour total thing. And then in, in the second part, man, it was commercial break, somebody died. Commercial break, stroke. Commercial break, somebody else dies. Commercial break, grieving. It was just like, yo, y'all rushing through so much because Bobby Brown's life was just so, it's so amazing. Amazingly tragic. The highs were very high. Some of the the things that happened are self-inflicted, but still the loss that that dude has had to go through is amazing. It's crazy throughout his family. And BET rushed through that. Not critiquing the actual documentary here. The fourth quarter of this week's show, episode 72, is going to focus on the brand of BET. Earlier, I was talking about the branding of Nike with Mike, my guest. And I'm seeing BET now. And, and it was last week when we all gathered as a family on, on Twitter and live tweeted through the Bobby Brown story, man. It was like, yo. 
This is what BET should be. This is what BET could be. When I was a little boy, man, BET was, that joint was it. You feel me? Friday nights, I would watch Video Soul with my sister and my mom. Donnie Simpson. You know what I'm saying? Going down the top 10 videos. And we would, as a family, we would watch the video Soul. You know what I'm talking about? Then I got older. I hit puberty. And at the same time, Rachel came onto the scene. God bless Rachel and Caribbean Rhythms. Lord have mercy. Some of y'all Bamas don't even know. Don't worry about it. You missed out. Your life sucks. <laughs> you feel me? But BET was right there. Changing with the times, adapting. And then I'm in high school. They had hits, right? What was the giant? Cedar's World, Rap City in the Basement. Come on now. With Tigger. Come on now. What was the joint? 106 in part. And that's when I kind of faded out. That's when I went out of the BET thing. Because, you know, that just wasn't me. As a as a 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, I kind of gravitated. I was done. But people still were rocking with it. I remember going to the barbershop. And Batman's like, yo, you going to check out the BET Awards? You know, I wasn't into that. But early 2000 BET Awards, like Monique was doing the thing, set the whole night, like, it was the importance of BET couldn't be overstated to the community. Hell, man, if you were a teenager at some part of the 90s, don't know where, whatever year, if at some point in the decade of the 90s you had a teen at the end of your age, everybody watched Comic View. Everybody watched Comic View. You understand what I'm saying? BET put that joint out there. And that was like, I mean, who, who who doesn't remember coming home from school watching that joint? <laughs> you feel me? Finding comedians that you had no idea who they were, but they were funny as hell. Then they and then BET pivoted. They had their own creative special shows like Hell Date. That joint was funny the first season. I don't know what the hell they did the second season, but it showcased the the creativity of BET. So many times after Viacom purchased BET, it was just lumped in together with MTV and it was just the black MTV. But at its best, BET was doing stuff completely different than MTV. They were unique because the audience that they are targeting is completely different. So just like when we talked about the brand of Nike and what it meant when they had Cap, the brand of BET, man, I don't know what happened, but it fell off. It fell off a cliff, and that thing still falls. And the only time, the only time you could look at BET and be like, oh, okay, let's rally together, right, is when they do a, a miniseries like New Edition or like Bobby Brown. No matter how you felt about the final product, right, we watched that together as a family, the same way as a family. I watched Video Soul way back when with my mom and my sister. You feel me? Or when someone passes. Because we see what happens when a legend passes, whether it be Aretha Franklin, God bless the dead, and all the other channels try to, you know, pay respect and give a tribute. They don't do it right. They don't do it right. Black Girls Rock come on this weekend. They handle it. Prince go, Prince passes. Nobody does it right. BT had it.
you know, that's that's just a, a small part of their importance. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at BET now, man, from time to time, and I think about it, man, because I got a little girl, you know? And I didn't watch the Bobby Brown documentary with her because they, they was wilding. It was too much. Nah, my baby ain't doing that. We ain't, we ain't doing that with my baby. Nah. But I think to myself, man, black culture and, and being proud of your, your blackness in a world where you could be in your house, somebody will break in, shoot you, and then they start finding ways why you played a part of that, right? Current events. We could, we could go on and on and on. The same reason Cap is kneeling, right? There's so many things that will make you question. There's so many things about our society that will make you question your blackness, right? We need the spaces to be like, no, the black girl's rock joint is dope. Reaffirm who you are, right? Reaffirm your history. Reaffirm what makes you who you are, your culture, and all these other outlets like to like to come up off our culture. And I'm looking at BET, I'm like, well, what why y'all can't why can't y'all in this day and age, in this climate where we drive so much, why is it that y'all always late to the party? Joe Budden, I talked about Joe Budden last week. He is on a media blitz. Dominating everything, saving revolt. Holding down Spotify, right? He gave Complex an alley-oop a year ago. And I'm looking to myself, and I'm like, hold on. How come y'all couldn't peep this out? Before all of this, I didn't even know, because I don't watch the Love and Hip Hop series, right? My partner's telling me that he used to be on that. On VH1. You feel me? You talk about a rebrand. I remember VH1 from pop-up videos and all these other little shows that were like basically, you know, adult contemporary radio for television. I don't I don't know when B or VH1 turned into the Love and Hip Hop, you know, station or whatever the case may be, but they did and they're coming up off of it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how is it that VH1 has been able to flip do a complete 180 on this? And BET, every time I turn it to y'all, y'all showing Baby Boy again. You know? I look at HBO and how on Sunday nights we all get down with Insecure at 1030. I look at ABC and how for a whole night they gave their entire block of television to Shonda Rhimes. I'm looking at Kenya Barris. We talked about grownish and blackish a few weeks ago and how he's unhappy. He's got a show on Freeform. Huh? All around. You look at you look at on Thursdays or whatever nights maybe you look at Atlanta. FX moving the culture. You look at Queen Sugar on own. Oprah got a whole station devoted to that type of stuff. There's so many creators, so many people who are moving the culture, who are moving what popular, what is popular in our society. 
And not all of us are black. Some of us are Latinos. It doesn't matter. It doesn't always necessarily have to be black. But my point is, in the culture that BET, you would think, would oversee and would run, everybody else is pulling from that pool. And BET is running reruns of Martin. And I love Martin. But damn it, Martin and Baby Boy ain't going to cut it. Why aren't y'all doing stuff new? Why aren't y'all innovating anymore? I'm watching the Bobby Brown miniseries. I'm thinking, man, this is the BET that I would have envisioned as a child. Like, this is the how BET would progress. But they don't do that all the time. You get a, you get a miniseries once every other year. And I've, I've read articles about this, man. And I've seen people talk about, well, you know, if BET tried to do this, people wouldn't watch. You know, BET has put out dope content in the past, but people didn't watch. And that's true. And that speaks to the brand being damaged. But it also speaks to Robin Thede had a show, a dope show. They gave her one year. It's as if BET feels that they should be, and the ratings didn't meet what they thought it did, so they cut it. You can't give something one year to try to get on when everything surrounding it is from decades ago what's the new thing surrounding robin Thede to make sure that she could get on what's the new thing they don't have anything they had a little buzz with the kevin hart show they should be doing stuff like that all the time there's no reason why comic view shouldn't be popping right now bro a comics a, co a comedian has a special on netflix every other week and most of the time they got some color in them how is it that Comic View is not back? I don't get it. The, the young comic circuit right now is buzzing. It's so great right now. What, what are they doing? I shouldn't have these ideas for BET that they don't put out there. What's the young Bama, the rapper with the colorful hair? The Bama Takashi, right? I don't listen to his music. I'm not, I'm, you know, don't know much about him, but I know he's on. I know for whatever reason, whatever he touches, it gets popping. You can't give him like a little 24-7 little, you know, reality TV show type of deal. Who knows how long his money's going, like, who knows how long the money's coming in for him because he's living super reckless. Give him a bag and let him give you, provide you content and bring all of his fans because the dude's got fans. Bring all of that with you. LeBron James is in L.A. LeBron's got television shows and all. He's got a show on HBO. He's got a show or a series or a documentary on Showtime. He's got a show on NBC, right? Survivor's Remorse was on Stars. LeBron is in L.A. now. You know he's trying to make a move in terms of the world of entertainment. You can't get something for LeBron. The Breakfast Club. It's just a syndicated radio show. Puff was able to get that bad. Why is it that BET couldn't have been on that way before? You see what I'm saying? Everybody else is coming from the culture, plucking people and driving. These is in marrow. So many things. Like, no matter where you turn, we are prominent in what is popular. And we do it. And we look for every outlet. To get, a, to get an opportunity, to get a chance to showcase what we have. 
and everybody's eating except for BET. The only time we come around for BET is one of our is anytime one of our legends passes, or when we look back, right, and document the life of one of our legends, and that's it. I don't know who's up there at BET, who's calling the shots, what's going on. But, man, they got to take a long look in the mirror because what I fear is that when my daughter is 18, 19, 20, there's not going to be a hits. There's not going to be a rap city, the basement. There's not going to be anything to reaffirm herself. Maybe there's a girls, a black girls rock once a year. But if you've got one special or two special or three things that make you special and you don't surround it by other special things, who's going to see it? Because that's the trajectory that BET is on right now. And as someone who grew up watching BET, I'm talking about from a little boy to a teenager to a young man. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this show, man. I know we went a little bit long with that first half, but it was super dope. Once again, I want to give a big thanks, a big shout out to my guy Mike Sykes for joining me this week and breaking down Nike, Serena, and everything else in the middle. And I want to give a big shout out to each and every one of you all for listening to the show. I appreciate it. The numbers are coming in from September, man. September's been a dope month already. We've already done better than August, so I really want to appreciate all you guys for continuing to grow the show, continuing to back your boy. I appreciate it. Remember, make sure you head on over to Twitter to tweet the show. Give me your thoughts, your reactions. Am I being too hard on BET or am I right? You let me know. Tweet at me and the show at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. QuarterlyReport, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. Also, listeners on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, Podknife, Google Play, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you download, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Let me, let your friends, let the world know what you think about the quarterly report. Five-star reviews are very much appreciated. And make sure you check out the page on Instagram, okay? On IG, quarterly report. We got a bunch of dope stuff. Top five Fridays. That's a segment that we do each and every Friday where I break down the top five list. Guys, want to make sure you check that out. I would let you know top five things that I feel this past Friday was top five Kanye West tracks. Based upon my feelings and the response that I got, we went with Guess Who's Back from Scarface. This week's top five picks will be coming out again on Friday. So make sure you check out the page on Instagram. Quarterly report. Hashtag top five picks. Thanks to each and every one of you all for listening to this show. We'll be right back here next Thursday for the Quarterly Report.